Chapters seven and eight of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seven, let sleeping dogs lie. On the journey of life, we sometimes come to a dead stop. Obstacles arise which bar our further progress, and circumstances impossible to do away with confront us on all sides. We cannot go back, for in life there is no retrogression. We cannot proceed owing to blocked paths and so stand hopeless and powerless waiting for the word or action of fate she unseen but almighty deity alone can remove the hindrance which prevents our progress and until she speaks or acts we can do nothing but wait it is on such occasions that we feel how truly we are the puppets of some unknown power francis hilliston had arrived at some such stoppage hitherto his keen brain his strong will his capability for decisive action had carried him onward from past to present through present to future when obstacles had arisen they had been easily swept away and with his own life in his hands he was perfectly satisfied of his power to mould it to his liking possibly fate who is a somewhat jealous deity felt angered at the egotistic self-reliance of the man for without warning she brought him to a dead stop then grimly waited to see how his boasted cunning would outwit her as she probably foresaw the man did nothing but await her decision it was the only thing he could do for five-and-twenty years the horriston tragedy had been unmentioned unthought of hilliston deemed that it was relegated to the category of unknown crimes and having in his mind his friendship for the parents and his love for the son was not unwilling that it should be so he did not wish claude to know of the matter he was not desirous that he should come in contact with mrs bezel and hitherto had managed so well that neither contingency had eventuated congratulating himself on his dexterity he remained lulled in fancied security when fate observant of his complacency sent a bolt from the blue and brought him up short now hilliston forced by circumstances to tell the truth to larcher did not know what to do he could only wait for the fiat of the higher power grimly satisfied that she had brought home his fault and had shown him his moral weakness fate made the next move and sent larcher and his friend to lincoln's inn fields to again set hilliston on his former journey the paralysis of will which had seized the elder man did not extend to the younger for claude arrived full of anxiety to begin the search for the undiscovered criminal the first result of his compact with tate was this visit to the lawyer claude larcher spencer tate muttered hilliston glancing at the cards brought in by his clerk i thought as much the matter is out of my hands now show the gentleman in he added sharply the clerk departed and hilliston walked quickly to the window where he stood biting his nails all geniality had vanished from his face he looked older than his years and an unaccustomed frown wrinkled his expansive forehead a crisis had come which he knew not how to meet so after the fashion of men when they feel thus helpless he left the decisions in the hands of fate which was precisely what fate wanted good morning claude good morning mr tate said hilliston welcoming the young men with artificial enthusiasm i expected to see you to-day surely you did not expect to see me said tate in a silky tone as he placed his hat on the table indeed i did where damon is Vinthius is sure to be that claude's perusal of those papers would result in your accompanying him to this office i felt sure i was right 
here you are mr hilliston affected a cheerfulness he was far from feeling with increasing age a distaste had come for violent excitements and with one of claude's temperament he knew that the chances were that the ensuing quarter of an hour would be somewhat stirring contrary to his expectations however larcher was eager but calm and hilliston assuring himself that the calmness was genuine began to hope that the interview would pass off better than he expected still none of us like to reopen a disagreeable chapter of the book of life and this mr helliston against his will and inclination was about to do well sir said claude when they were all seated and the hush of expectancy was in the air i have read those papers yes said mr helliston interrogatively and what do you think of the matter i think it is a very black case you are quite right claude it is a very black case indeed i did all in my power to bring the criminal to justice but without success who is the criminal asked larcher with a keen glance at his guardian hilliston shuffled his feet uneasily by no means relishing the directness of the question that is a difficult question to answer he said slowly in fact an impossible one my suspicions point to jerringham from this point tate made a third in the conversation that is because jerringham disappeared on the night of the murder he said leisurely yes i think that circumstance alone is very suspicious he was never found again never we advertised in all the papers we employed detectives inquired privately but all to no result the last person who saw jerringham was mrs larcher he parted from her at the door of the laurels and vanished into the night it still hides him what do you conclude from that sir asked claude after a pause i can only conclude one thing replied hilliston with great deliberation that your father suspicious of jerringham returned on that night from london and saw the parting the result is not difficult to foresee it is my own opinion that there were words between the men possibly a struggle and that the matter ended in the murder of your father by jerringham hence the discovery of the body thrown into the river hence the flight of the murderer was this the generally received opinion at the time yes i can safely say that it was believed jerringham was guilty and had fled to escape the consequences of his crime in that case how was it that mrs larcher was arrested asked tate sceptically you cannot have read the case carefully to ask me that replied hilliston sharply she was arrested on the evidence of the dagger without doubt the crime was committed with the dagger and as she had worn it the inference was drawn that she was the guilty person but she was acquitted and left the court as the saying is without a stain on her character nevertheless she died mr hilliston shame killed her said the lawyer sadly she was a foolish woman in many ways your pardon claude for so speaking but she was not the woman to commit so foul a crime indeed i believe she was fondly attached to her husband till jerringham came between them ah interposed tate composedly that is john parver's view john parver repeated hilliston with well-bred surprise i do not know that name in connection with the case nor do we know the name of mrs bezel said claude quickly hilliston started and looked at claude as though he would read his very soul the inscrutability of the young man's countenance baffled him and he turned off the remark with a dry laugh 
with mrs bezel we will deal hereafter he said shortly but who is this john parver he is the author of a book called a whim of fate a novel yes a novel which embodies the whole of this case that is strange said hilliston quietly but no doubt the author has come across the details in some old provincial journal and made use of them the larger affair caused a great deal of talk at the time but it is certainly remarkable that a novelist should have made use of it for fictional purposes after the lapse of so many years i must read the book just note the name of it here mr tate if you please tate did so and hilliston continued is my character in the book i think so under the name of michael dean i trust the author has been flattering to me by the way who does he say committed the crime michael dean hilliston went grey on the instant as though a sudden blow had been struck at his heart two pairs of keen eyes were fixed on his face with some surprise and uneasy at the scrutiny he strove to recover his composure upon my word he said with quivering lips i am infinitely obliged to john parver for describing me as a murderer and what motive does he ascribe to me or rather to michael dean for the committal of the crime love for the wife said tate smiling eh that is rather the role of jerringham i should say replied hilliston the colour coming back to lips and cheek i must read this novel and if possible discover the identity of the author oh we will do that claude cried the lawyer in astonishment i and tate we intend to follow out this case to the end it is useless five-and-twenty years have elapsed nevertheless i am determined to hunt down the murderer of my father said claude decisively besides we have two eye-witnesses to the tragedy yourself and mrs bezel ah mrs bezel i forgot her certainly i will do all in my power to help you claude your father was my dearest friend and i shall only be too glad to avenge his fate but if i could not do it at the moment how can i hope to do so now after so long a period has elapsed leave that to us sir tate and i will attend to the active part of the business all we ask you to do is to give us such information as lies in your power i will do that with pleasure said hilliston who by this time was thoroughly master of himself what is it you wish to know we wish to know all about mrs bezel who is she what has she to do with the case why is not her name mentioned in these pages for answers to these questions you had better apply to the lady herself you have her address why not call on her i intend to do so to-morrow the old man rose from his seat and took a turn up and down the room then he paused beside claude and laid a trembling hand on the young man's shoulder i have been a good friend to you claude you have been my second father my real father said larcher gently i shall never forget your kindness i would return it if i could then do so by letting sleeping dogs lie what do you mean by that mr hilliston asked the other with a subtle change in his tone abandon this case do not call on mrs bezel you can do no good by reopening the affair it was a mystery years ago and it is a mystery still it will remain a mystery till the end of time not if i can help it 
i am sorry to disoblige you sir but my mind is made up i am determined to find out the truth hilliston sighed passed his hand across his forehead and returned to his seat hopeless and baffled he was sufficiently acquainted with claude's character to know that he was not easily turned from his purpose and that his resolution to solve the mystery would be resolutely carried out yet he made one more attempt to bend the young man to his will if you are wise you will not call on mrs bezel why not sir it will give you great pain all my pain is past replied claude quickly i can suffer no more than i did when reading these papers i must call on mrs bezel i must know the truth and added he significantly i have your promise to assist me i will do all in my power answered hilliston wearily but you do not know what you are doing i am older and more experienced than you and i give you my best advice do not see mrs bezel and leave the larcher affair alone the result of this well-meant advice was that claude called the next morning on mrs bezel eight both sides of the question man's life has frequently been compared to a river in childhood it is a trickling thread in youth a stream in manhood a majestic river and finally in old age is swallowed up in the ocean of death a very pretty parable but somewhat stale it is time that life was indicated by a new metaphor let us therefore compare the life of man to the ocean itself like the ocean life has its calms and storms its sullen rages its caressing moments and like the ocean for this is the main point of the illustration it has its profound depths containing a hundred secrets unknown to the outer world francis hilliston was like the ocean all knew the surface few were acquainted with the depths below a man who leads a double life need never feel dull he may be nervous anxious fearful lest his secret should be discovered but the constant vigilance required to hide it preserves him from the curse of henri he ever keeps the best side of his nature uppermost his smiles are for the world his brow is smooth to lull suspicion but to continue the simile of the ocean in the depths lie many terrible things which never come to the surface things which he scarcely dare admit even to himself francis hilliston was one of these men every one knew hilliston of lincoln's inn fields or thought they did which is quite a different thing he was widely respected in the profession he was popular in society hand and glove with prominent and wealthy personages his house at kensington gore was richly furnished his wife was handsome and fashionable he gave splendid entertainments at which none was more jocund than the host himself he was outwardly all that was prosperous and popular in his professional capacity he was the repository of a thousand secrets but of all these none was more terrible than the one locked up in his own breast long years of training constant necessity had taught him how to control his emotions to turn his face into a mask of inscrutability yet he succeeded ill at times as witness his interview with the two young men not all his powers of self-repression could keep his face from turning grey nor prevent the perspiration beating his brow nor steady his voice to well-bred indifference usually he succeeded in masking his emotion this time he had failed and worst of all he knew that he had failed it was not claude that he feared for the young man was not of a suspicious nature 
and even had he been so would certainly have scoffed at the idea of attributing any evil to the one who had been to him a father tate silent observant and cynical was the person to be dreaded accustomed by his profession to read faces hilliston had seen that the quiet little man was possessed of one of those inquisitive penetrative natures which suspect all men and from a look a gesture a pause can draw evidence to support any suspicion they may entertain certainly tate had no reason to distrust hilliston when he entered the room but during the interview he appeared dissatisfied with the lawyer's manner that hilliston should attempt to dissuade claude from prosecuting a search for his father's murderer seemed strange but that he should betray such marked agitation at the idea of such searching taking place was stranger still altogether tate left the office in a very dissatisfied state of mind hilliston had sufficient penetration to note this and when left alone was at his wit's end how to baffle the unwarrantable curiosity of this intruder i don't mind claude he said pacing up and down the room he has not sufficient brain-power to find out anything i do not want him to know but this tate is dangerous he is one of those dogged creatures who puts his nose to the scent and never leaves the trail till the prey is captured it is with him i have to deal not with claude his agitation almost mastered him and he hurriedly took a small bottle from a drawer in his desk dropping the contents of this into a glass of water he drank off the draught and in a short space of time regained his composure in some measure then he sat down to think and plot and plan how to baffle the vigilance of tate that infernal woman has done it all he muttered savagely she has lighted the fire let us see how she will put it out but she cannot put it out he added striking his forehead with his clenched fist it will blaze and burn i shall burn with it unless there was a strange smile on his lips as an idea entered his mind and he glanced quickly at his watch four o'clock claude can't possibly call on margaret to-day so i have yet time to prepare her for his visit i must silence her at any cost she must hold her tongue or ruin us both great heavens to think that she should break out like this after five-and-twenty years it is enough to drive me mad by this time he had put on his gloves and stretched his hand toward his hat which stood on a side-table a glance in the glass showed him how old and grey he looked and the sight was so unexpected that he started in dismay bah i look as though i were going to fail he said to himself but i must not fail i dare not fail at sixty rich honoured respected i am not going to fall from the pedestal i have reached i shall reassure claude i shall baffle tate i shall silence margaret the first move in the game is mine calm dignified easy he left his office and stepped into the brougham waiting at the door to judge by appearance one would have thought him the most respectable and upright man in london no one knew what lurked behind that benevolent expression his mask had fallen for the moment when tate was present now it was on again and he went forth to deceive the world yet he had an uneasy consciousness that one man at least guessed his real character never mind he thought as the footman closed the door of the brougham it will be strange if with my age and experience and reputation and money i cannot baffle him 
he did not go direct home as it was yet early and he had one or two things to do in connection with his new task first he drove to tate's chambers and ascertained from the porter that the two young men were within never mind sending up my name i won't disturb them he said when the porter requested his card i only wish to speak to mr tate about a box at the theatre if it is the lyceum you mean sir i have just got two stalls for mr tate ah i may see them there replied hilliston negligently and as he drove away reflected good they have not yet been to hampstead nor do they intend to go to-night mr tate has yet to learn the value of time driving through piccadilly he stopped at a bookshop and with some difficulty for the demand was large obtained a copy of a whim of fate he began to read it in the brougham and skimmed its pages so rapidly that by the time he reached kensington gore he had nearly finished the first volume he did not recognize himself in the character of michael dean and became more convinced than ever that the coincidence of the larcher affair forming the plot of a novel was due to the author's reading the case in some old provincial newspaper on every page it betrayed that to him the story was hearsay fortunately mrs hilliston was driving in the park so the lawyer shut himself up in his library and went on reading the story he did not see his wife till dinner which took place at eight o'clock and then descended in his ordinary clothes looking ill and pale something he had read in the novel had startled him more than he cared to confess even to himself you must excuse my dress louise he said on taking his seat but i have been so engrossed with the novel that i did not hear the dressing-bell it has not had a pleasant effect on you replied his wife smiling you do not look at all well i am not well said hilliston who merely trifled with his food you must excuse me going with you to the lamberts to-night as i think i shall call in and see my doctor are you so bad as all that questioned mrs hilliston anxiously why not send for dr bland i prefer going to see him louise you will probably not be back till three in the morning so i will go to bed immediately on my return have no fear my dear it is only a trifling indisposition after these plain statements it was rather strange that hilliston in place of driving to dr bland's who lived in hill street should direct the cab which he picked up by the park railings to drive to hampstead End of chapter 7 and 8